This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. You're listening to a section of the LibriVox NaNoWriMo project, in which a number of LibriVox volunteers write and record a whole novel together in serial form during November 2006. The project is based on an idea started by the National Novel Writing Month. Written and recorded by Alan Davis Drake. Chapter 9 A pair of wrinkled, deeply discolored hands rested on the home keys of the keyboard. The page of writing showed boldly blue on the thirty-inch flat-panel cinema display glowing in the waning daylight that slid through the ancient distortions in the multi-paneled windows behind it. Outside the afternoon lengthened. The faded eyes glanced over the left side of the monitor. The bases of the trees in the near distance were darkening. A pair of falcons swept over the treetops, whether looking for a night's roost or a final day's meal. The observer could not know. Though the typing resumed, the room was strangely quiet. The dark wooded walls and the hand-hewn ceiling incongruous, out of step with the plastic shapes and electronic forms. The desk itself was a murky medieval trestle table, built from trees felled more than seven hundred years before the taming of electricity. In contrast, the chair was twentieth-century ergonomic, a blue-upholstered, six-wheeled marvel of chiropractic perfection that also worked well as a conveyance from one end of the room to the other. The weazened fingers stopped in mid-sentence, as the deep-lined face slowly tipped forward, falling into a light sleep. The cursor at the bottom of the page continued to pulse. At the top, the title was bold and clear. The Mystery, Inspired by the Exploits of T.M. Chapter 4 Sir, are you there? Startled awake, the typist reached towards the intercom on the table. A weak but authoritative voice projected a thin, dry, Give me a few minutes, if you please. The old body leaned back, resting itself against the comforting curve of the chair back. So much more to say. How can I explain the mystery? Who will understand anything but its outer meanings? Who will understand its inner meanings, its inner truths? Why do I bother with the history at all? Who will understand? Who will understand Charles' sickness and death? The regimen we put a T.M. through? The tests he endured and overcame? The challenge of his... I must forget him. Such a mistake... How grateful I am that no one can hear me. How muddled my thoughts. Vague, and of age forms unsuccessful and transparent. Returning to the Mac, the ancient fingers set in motion a series of saves and double saves, clearing the throat with a series of gentle hums, gaining greater and greater depth. The aged voice settled itself, and then went on to say, in an oceanic rumble, 
You may come in now. Rising from the chair, the austere figure changed its shape, assumed a noble self-assurance, and walked purposefully to the window, imperceptibly shifting the stance, straightening, appearing younger, even vigorous. A middle-aged man walked into the room carrying a cardboard box. He closed the door behind him with a self-conscious nudge of his elbow, and proceeded to the center of the room, where the large, heavy table hovered in aged beauty. The monitor screen was black. He paused for a moment, and then, at the acknowledging nod of the older gentleman, put the box down on the table, and walked over to sit in one of the two chairs against the wall. A small, elaborately carved end-table nestled between them. As he sat, the chair dipped deeply beneath him, capturing him in an ancient embrace. The older one began. Thank you for coming to see me so late in the day, Peter. Thank you, Elder. You are most welcome. A long moment passed in several deep breaths, as if it had been a struggle to speak those polite words of welcome. I've asked you to come so that I might thank you for your meticulous good work and to say that you needn't worry. I do not doubt your discretion. As a lifetime member of this exalted order, you have many more years of good service ahead of you. I am content. I am content. The time we have waited so patiently for is nearly here. Your part in this, though, is nearly at an end. I'm having fun. Turning back to the window, the older one peered out over the forest in the distance, as those very few who were permitted entry into this room more than once knew he was wont to do. Preoccupied, not really part of the conversation. Returning from the window and crossing to the second chair against the wall, he touched the cardboard box briefly. The pace was slow and measured, hiding an obvious weariness. Or something. I am afraid our association with the public domain literature is nearly come to an end. As you say, there will be but one or two further readings, and of the much smaller kind, primarily little poems. The suspicious conceit, the mystery, will be closed down in a day or so. I feel certain. It holds no water. The LibriVox people, effusively gracious though they may be, will close it down as an unverifiable text. You will retire that particular disguise after recording Chapter 6. Yes. You are excellent at what you do. Merci. You are an American, no? Yes. In today's world, a person of a hundred voices is as valuable as a man of a thousand faces was in mine. I particularly like the way you were so... so amateurish. You decided not to use all of the excellent equipment I gave you. Very ingenious. I did it all in my kitchen, with the refrigerator humming, and... An 
excellent impersonation of Grayson. His voice is easy. A little Spanish, a little French, a little whatever. And those annoying little bursts of air, what do you call them? Plosives? Plosives. This tasteful word. And in sound meaning and application. A wonderful metaphor. I shall remember this. And what about the new topic I began last week on Bisham Abbey? The old head shook ever so slightly. Everything is in place. Still, it may take some time for everything to unfurl, as it should. Once again, a long pause, as if lost in time. And then, nodding with obvious and deep appreciation, he placed the small box on the end-table between them. Thank you again, Peter. Please, ask him to come in. Peter Becosé walked out of the rose-lined room, tucking the titanium box into his pin-striped jacket pocket. As he walked through the door, the glimmer of satisfaction in the corners of his eyes were acknowledged with a smile by the man walking past him into the room. Peter? He's all yours, Gerhard. The door closed between them. Gerhard moved towards the plush chair vacated by Peter, packet under his arm. Before he could sit, the old voice pressed him. How is Tracy? Jet-lagged. As you know, she flew back with me. Stephen is with the children. They are safe in the Hudson, beginning their vacation at the Esopus Libra docks. You have her proofs. Gerhard placed the large envelope on the table. The proofs she has been collecting at Cornell's College of Human Ecology, the same ones she recently gave to Trevor. What did you tell her? She believes she's here to meet Trevor. She brought the second set to secure her argument. There is a third set still with her husband. Her meeting with Trevor will not be for a few days. In the meantime, she and I will finally get to know one another. Yes. Gerhardt hesitated for a second before adding, We do have something important to discuss. Appearing to ignore Gerhardt, Trevor is handling himself just fine, as I expected. He doesn't need a babysitter. Trevor must do this alone. This will not be a success if I help him. There will be no change if we do that. Do you mean if anyone but Tracy helps him? Gerhard queried, a taste of puzzlement in his voice. I set it in motion, finally. The time has come for the blind and thoughtless to step aside. Peacefully, yes. The mystery of who they are is becoming clear still, and I only know the half of it. You know much, much less. But I have something more important to this. Trust yourself. When I can't tell the outer mystery from the inner, I can now safely say that until a week ago I had Gerhardt. The tone was that of a schoolmaster speaking to a young boy. Do you remember the story of the five blind yogis and the elephant? You told it enough when I was a child. Yes. Think about it. An inquiring pause. Are you? Pause. Now? Pause. 
Can a man with as much responsibility as you take time to stop, to imagine, for everyone's convenience, to consider the world as a young man again? Do you remember? An interminable pause roamed the room. It rested on the bookcases, on the furniture, on their clothing and hands, on their eyelids. How many blind yogis have you seen lately? Gerhardt hesitated. His uncertainty rattled him. His head tilted to one side and then the other. That is it, the elder said encouragingly. Count them. Only two? Gerhardt said with full conviction. Then, my dear friend, there are three more out there somewhere and it is your responsibility to be certain that neither you nor they are confusing ears for sails trunks for snakes nor legs for trees but you said sit with it for a while and gerhardt did just that they sat in silence for more than half an hour until that signature nod, and Gerhardt got up to leave. He had opened the door and was beginning to step out when the old man held him again. Remember, do not fall in with the blind. Before we were anything, what were we? We were and still are hospitalers, not impostors, not soldiers. There is something deeper in all of this, something that speaks green, not red, something that speaks of healing and not of harming. It has been a thousand years, and we have never taken up arms. When alone once again, the old one rose from the armchair and walked to the broad window peering over the wide expanse of forest, losing himself in the changing colors of leaves, the soft breeze touching the tall grasses and the branches and the clouds. The sky was a deep, deep blue. Gazing at the box Peter had left behind, and then sinking back against the curtains, and finally, tentatively, sitting on the window nook, the old one spoke as through the panes of glass, out to the darkening forest. How I wish I were free to be myself, not weave in and out of character as Peter does. Like those before me I am locked in an endless whirlpool. How I wish to shed this disguise, to read, to record beauty in my own voice, my true voice. It is such a small wish and such a searching ache to speak to the world in my own voice. I would say the melancholy words dear William Yeats wrote for those who came before me so many years ago, so many years to come. Now I come near the end of my time. The end of all disguise. I yearn to speak to all who came before me. 
and to all who may come after to speak in my true voice, the voice of Teresa Misu. The Song of the Old Mother by William Butler Yeats I rise in the dawn and I kneel and blow till the seed of the fire flicker and glow and then I must scrub and bake and sweep till stars are beginning to blink and peep but the young lie long and dream in their bed of the matching of ribbons the blue and the red and their day goes over in idleness and they sigh if the wind but lift up a tress while i must work because i am old and the seed of the fire gets feeble and cold so many people have tried for so many centuries to move the world from destruction so many have tried to defeat us so many relying on the unsuccessful methods of ages gone by so many believing the only options are to fight or to run to blindly destroy ourselves with selfishness or to blindly abandon our world with indifference to have a partner in the struggle to have had a wondrous husband while we were together while we trained tm and he grew and he learned to lead while we shared the vision but we were born to die we come to pass charles died i passed from my life into his taking his place continuing with the inner vows who else to do it if i had not taken on his mantle his very clothes were the sun gone before him who else it has been so lonely i have been so haunted mysteries able to hold the reins unable to solve their passing their deaths haunted by the mystery of the reins the mystery of loss the mystery of sorrow the mystery of a mother's love the mystery of a father's desire for the embrace of forgiveness the mystery of unrequited longing the mystery of forgetfulness the mystery tracy trevor trevor tracy my precious parentless children dispel a thousand years of madness dispel the mysteries ah work together break the chains of the past the frail body folded into a deep sleep in the window's cushioned nook as the falcons lifted into the air. End of chapter 9 Recorded on November 10, 2006 Recorded by Alan Davis Drake In West End, Long Branch, New Jersey And by Anita Roy Dobbs, Boston